0: We apologize in advance for the technical difficulties with the audio this week. So if you have your Bibles, if you would, turn with me to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. And here's the cool thing. This week we have the opportunity to, to ask you children to join in. Last week, you did a great job. Some of the adults kind of joined in as well and posted their pictures of Jonah in the fish. Now, that was cheating. You can't claim it was your child's drawing when it was really yours. And some of you have great skill. And so we knew it was not your child. But uh, this week, uh, there's a funny story that we're going to read in just a minute. The story of uh, Nineveh repenting of their sins and what the king requires of all Ninevites is for them to put sackcloth and ashes on their heads and not just on theirs but sackcloth and ashes on the animals so i want you to draw your best picture choose an animal that would be around maybe it's a camel maybe it's a horse maybe it's a cow maybe it's a donkey maybe it's uh you know a sheep choose an animal and put sackcloth and ashes. Now, ashes, you understand. When you have a fire, it creates ash, and they put on their their bodies to communicate that they were in repentance. Uh, But sackcloth is rags, basically. Uh, Rags that communicate we've rent our garments uh, in seriousness and in repentance. So let me encourage you, children, draw us a picture of your favorite animal and ashes and then post them to Facebook and if you have that, and uh, let's, let's compare pictures. and uh, maybe I'll announce a winner this week. There were so many good pictures last week, but uh, let's do that this week. All right, so we're in the book of Jonah and remember Jonah's target audience. Uh, the story is about an Israelite, Hebrew who is sent to Nineveh. And Nineveh repents of their sin, and then Jonah is really angry and upset about that. And God's primary audience here is Israel, his own people, who have gone into idolatry and are basically treating God, their covenant faithful God, as one of the other pagan deities of the day. So God is speaking to them, and He is calling them back to Himself. And so Jonah is a but let man and beast be covered with. But I want to highlight again this question within the text. Who knows? This is sort of the big big question that's looming. Who knows? Who knows if Jonah will repent, if Israel will repent, if Nineveh will repent? Now that they have. Who knows how God's going to respond? And so it's kind of a cliffhanger for a moment that you're supposed to have as a reader. Now, the first thing you notice is that God, uh, God's grace leads Jonah and Nineveh to repentance. Uh, this is what Paul says about God's grace. He says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Now think about what God has been doing up to this point. He called a prophet, the prophet refused to go, and then God intervenes in Jonah's life, and in intervening calls Jonah to repentance, humbles Jonah, and Jonah's now in the belly of a fish, and he cries out to God, he remembers the Lord. Don't, don't worry and think, well, all right, so the point is God's graciously leading Jonah and Nineveh to repentance. Uh, That that is a kindness of God. Uh, God is under no obligation uh, to lead us to repentance, to honor or receive our repentance. Uh, Once sinners, God has every right uh, to bring the judgment, his wrath upon us. So for God to do this, for God to intervene in these moments, and lead Jonah to repentance in chapter 2, and in chapter 3 lead Nineveh, who are not his covenant people, to turn from their ways is a real act of grace. It's a real act of of mercy. Um, And so even in Nineveh's uh, experience, they have been going through serious economic times, according to historians, uh, earthquakes, they've had uh, pestilence, they've had a lot that's been softening them up and preparing them for this moment. And it's God leading them to turn from their ways. Now, we don't want to read too much into this. We know that Nineveh in just a generation is, just, is condemned by God, so we don't know that Jehovah worship has started in Nineveh or in Assyria or has taken root, uh, but, but we're not supposed to get caught up in those details. We're supposed to see the big picture of the narrative And that is that God is being merciful to Ninevites. Uh, God is being merciful to people who are not his people. And um, and that's the message that Israel is supposed to be getting. Um, This is what the Westminster Confession says about repentance. I'm just going to read this to you. Repentance unto life is an evangelical grace. It's a gospel grace. It's something that is of God's divine intervention, whereby a sinner out of sight and sense not only of the danger but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins as contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God and upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ. So notice those two things, that repentance is, occurs when by God's grace we see how dangerous our sin is and we see how merciful God is. Uh, Once he enables us to see those things, to such as are penitent, so grieves for and hates his sins as to turn from them all unto God, uh, proposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all the ways of his commandments. Uh, And this is the point. God graciously leads Jonah and Nineveh to repentance. And the question is, will Israel repent? Will Israel turn from their wicked ways? Will God's people repent? Repentance, Tim Keller says in his book, The Prodigal Prophet, repentance is always a work of the Lord. And and to to show that, I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And notice what the Apostle Paul says. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, and here's why. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So you see, Paul is saying to Timothy, listen, Timothy, be patient, be kind, try and correct people because it might be that God leads them to repentance. And so the, the point is that the author is highlighting God's activity in the text, that God is the one who leads Jonah to repentance. God is the one who is leading Nineveh to repentance. Um, in this, God is assuring Israel. He's showing Israel Uh, That he's merciful and he's ready to welcome them home. That's an important message for Israel to hear right now as they are steeped in their own idolatry and as they are treating God like just one of the other gods. Uh, So God is more merciful, but this, this part highlights God's ability. It is God's ability, capability to lead sinners to repentance, to lead us... To turn from our sins. I'll say it this way. It is not your ability to turn from your sins. It is not your ability to give up your addictions. It is not your ability to become a righteous person. Now that's freeing. And it should be. But it is so hard for us to live that way. And so many times our view of what it means to grow in grace puts the emphasis on our ability to turn from our sins. I remember a preacher telling me about a man who was on his way to meet another woman, someone who was not his spouse. And he called this preacher and said, what do I do? And here's the preacher's answer, turn your car around. That's repentance. Folks, the ability to turn the car, the ability to turn from our sin is not something we have apart from God's leadership and God's grace. The ability to stop doing what we're doing is a work of God. And so if you're fearing right now, if your anxiety levels are high, you, you know, the answer is not to swallow hard or just to deep breathe. The answer is to cry out to God to help you to turn from that anxiety and fear or to, to know how to rest in him in a new and meaningful way. It's not something you can just do. And so I, I think the message to Israel and to us is a, is a helpful one, that God is the one who leads us to repentance. God is the one who leads us to himself. Now, God is also using Nineveh as a model uh, to model repentance to his people who have forsaken him. And this is the big, you know, sort of the big question. As Israel reads this letter, will they turn back to the Lord? Uh, will they respond to God's grace? Uh, the second thing I, 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 I want to focus on in the text is that God's grace comes with a calling. Um, this is what Titus says, what Paul says in the book of Titus. He says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Train to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now notice this. What is it that trains us? It is the grace of God that trains us. It is the grace of God It trains us to do these things. Again, where's the emphasis? It's not on you renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions. It's on grace Training you to do that. It's on God working in your life, enabling you to do that and enabling you to live self controlled, upright, godly lives today. So much of the self help message is not about God's grace, it's about your ability. And guys, the Bible is really clear you lack the ability. God is the one who has that capability to lead us to repentance, to turn, and to lead us to faith. And so our prayer is, God, help me to turn from this. Father, you have to help deliver my heart right now. You have to help me. You have to train me. And folks, we know that's exactly what God is doing in these days. But let's finish. Uh, While we wait for our great God, the appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Notice that language. Grace, when it comes into our lives, it trains us to be godly, upright people, self-controlled, but then it sends us uh, it gives us a mission, a calling, people who are zealous or, or uh, passionate about good works. And that has everything to do with the people that we're in a relationship with. It does not talk or reference, you know, the sacrifices of good works that we would lay on the throne of grace. Lord, look at all I've done for you. No, it is, it is a person who is trained by grace who is now investing in, in the people around them others become the focus now with that in mind think about what god told jonah arise go to nineveh call out against it the message that i tell you and think about jonah's message here yet 40 days and nineveh shall be overrun overthrown Think about what God has just done. Jonah, go to Nineveh, talk to them, tell them that in 40 days, the end is coming. Now, my question is, is that it? Is that all Jonah said? Or was that a truncated message, either recorded for us in the book, or really all that Jonah said as he traveled through this great area? Now, there's question as to whether it took three days to get through the city, or if Nineveh refers to the region, which would have taken three days, or if three days refers to, to the eastern pattern of hospitality where you stay three days. These are not the issues that we should be focused on. They're they're interesting. But the point is that Jonah spent enough time there to say a lot more than this. But the question is, is that all he said? And the answer is yes and no. Is that it? Yes. That's all that it takes for someone to turn Sins and repent when the Holy Spirit comes and changes their heart, when the Holy Spirit leads them to repentance. Think of Jesus' message as he started out in the Gospels. Uh, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a very simple message. But but there's something missing in Jonah's ministry. What what we have presented is Jonah just preaching the, the wrath of God is coming. And you probably have heard people on the TV or preachers who you know are like that. They stand on the street corners and talk about the wrath of God. So is that enough? Is that it? And it might be that that's all Jonah said. Because Jonah, we find out, is still bottled up in his own self-righteousness. Is that it? That's all that's necessary to bring someone to repentance because it's the work of the Spirit but is that sufficient? Was Jonah on target in this? I think Tim Keller makes a good argument and several other commentators that Jonah shows no real concern for Nineveh. Jonah shows no real concern for Nineveh and gives no further instruction for avoiding God's wrath. And, and we don't think Jonah stayed and helped Nineveh become followers of Jehovah. There's something significantly lacking in his ministry. Compare that to the Apostle Paul, when he, what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Does that sound like Jonah? It doesn't sound like Jonah to me. <laughs> that's compassionate, that's pleading, appealing that's someone whose heart is for the people he's speaking to. His heart is for the people in his community. Think of Peter and Jesus interacting with him in John 21. What does what uh, Jesus say to Peter as he is reestablishing him in ministry? He uses very pastoral language. And he says, Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Folks, this is the tender ministry of Christ. This is the model that Christ presents to us. This prophet got it wrong. This prophet just went and preached damnation to Nineveh and shows that he really doesn't care about them. He doesn't care about their repentance. In fact, he's frustrated. And we find this out in chapter 4 that Jonah's like, I knew exactly what you were going to do, God. And probably he could say something like this, and I did the bare minimum I preached a very simple message 40 days and you're doomed and you still used that to bring these people to repentance here's the point when grace when we experience the grace of God it comes with a calling and that calling is to show mercy and compassion to the people around us. It's those good works where we are focused on the people around us and showing them the kindness of God that led us to repentance. Our ministry to the world should be consistent with the nature of the mercy that God has shown us. Our ministry to the world should be consistent with the mercy that we've received. The compassion that we have received is the same compassion that we extend. My demands on others must be reshaped by God's mercy. I want you to think about that phrase. My demands on other people have to be reshaped by the mercy of God. The mercy that God has shown me. Think about it. You're in the store. You've grabbed the last thing of toilet paper. You are racing through the store like a, like a scene from Mad Max trying to get out of there before you get accosted for the last bit of toilet paper that you have. And you get to the line and there are people in front of you who are too close to you and they're taking their sweet time and they're chatting up at the register and all of a sudden you feel the impatience Why aren't they doing what I want? Why aren't they conforming to my demands and my plan for my life? Aren't you glad God doesn't that way? I am. I'm glad that God is patient and kind and ministers to me mercifully. But here's the point if we understand the grace that we have received, if we understand the mercy that God has shown us, That mercy has to reshape the demands that we make of each other. It has to reshape the demands I make of my staff. It has to reshape the demands that we as a leadership team of church make on God's people. It has to reshape how I as a dad treat my family and treat my children. The mercy, the patience, the kindness, the affection that I've received has to change the demands I place on others. Think of the story of the unmerciful servant, Matthew 18. Here's a man who owes a great debt. And his master calls him before him and says, pay me everything that you owe me. And the man pleads for mercy and says, I don't have it. And so the, the master says, I'm going I'm to sell you and everything you own to pay the debt. And the man says, please be merciful to me. And so the, the master, the king is merciful and that same servant, that same day, goes to someone who owes him just a little bit. Enough to buy a good Chick-fil-A dinner through the drive-thru. Just a little bit. Just a little lunch money. And he says, pay me what you owe me. And the person who owns this, owes this servant just a little lunch money says, be merciful to me. And this ungrateful servant throws that man in jail, demands that he pay him right away. And do you realize the context of that story? And this is what the master says. The master confronts this servant, and this is what he says. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And I think this is the question that God is asking Jonah I think this is the question God is asking Israel. I think this is the question that God is asking all of us. Should we not have mercy? Should we not show mercy on our fellow mankind, our fellow brothers and sisters, image bearers of God? Should we not show mercy, the same kind of mercy that we've received? And the context of that story is the question of forgiveness. A Pharisee comes to Jesus and says, or a disciple comes and says, how many times should I, a, uh, I forgive? And Jesus should I forgive seven times? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. It's in that context of, of forgiveness that Jesus teaches this parable. So here's, here's my, my plea. If we understand the grace that we've received and we understand the mercy that God has shown us that has to reshape the demands that we put on each other. I would say this too. It has to reshape the demands you put on yourself. It has to reshape. Mercy has to reshape our thinking about ourselves and others. Thirdly, God's grace flows from his mercy. Now, I'm using these terms in this way, kind of generically, okay, and not technically, but generically is God's mercy. It is his compassionate response. It is that feeling, that emotion of compassion that God, you know, says he has in these moments. He is compassionate. And then secondly, grace is his intervention. Because he's compassionate, he intervenes. He gets involved. Because he's compassionate, he gets involved. Okay. Think of, uh, uh, read with me Jonah 3.10. In the NIV, it says, it says uh, that he had compassion and did not bring the disaster. The ESV says God relented. And too much time is spent trying to figure out what the word relent means. It comes from the root of compassion. It comes from the root of, okay, I'm not, uh, not going to do that. It comes from this, I, I have compassion on you, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change course here. Okay? But we don't like that idea because how can God change course? How can God relent from something? Um, remember, God had sent Jonah to Nineveh. Jonah knew what God was going to do. This was not a change of course. It was God fulfilling Jonah's call to Nineveh. So there's no changing of of sovereignty here. God's immutability is not in question. Uh, He shows compassion in his response to Nineveh's repentance, and that's the very repentance that he had led them to. So if anything, we see a bigger picture of God's sovereignty in this moment as he is intervening into Nineveh's life, leading them to repentance, and then withholding the wrath of God that he said would come if they didn't repent, but he knew they were going to repent. And so the, the point is not to see some, is not to read in the narrative and try and come up with some theological point. The point is to see what God is doing. And it's, it's wrong for us to try and determine theology from this narrative. It's or that, that type of, of theology about We're meant to see the big picture. God's merciful. God's merciful. Uh, The story drives the reader to anticipate and witness uh, God's response toward those who humble themselves before him. That's what it's driving them to. That's what it's driving you to as a reader. How will God respond? Look, even Nineveh has turned. Now, again, we don't know if Nineveh has become followers of Jehovah. They, They call him Elohim and not Jehovah, his covenant name. And then we find no history of Nineveh becoming a, a Jehovah nation, a nation centered on the Lord. And, and it doesn't take long, and Nineveh is back at their old ways and eventually is destroyed by God. But this, this question is kind of remaining, who knows? All right, So you're reading along, and you're like, well, who knows? How will God respond? And that's the point you're meant to see, is that God's intervention is fueled by his compassionate, merciful heart. His mercy is what speaks in this text, that God is merciful to us. And I think uh, an important text for us to read is uh, is Titus 3, 3 through 7. So if you'll uh, turn in your Bibles to Titus, uh, Titus chapter 3, verses uh, 3 through 7. This is what the Apostle Paul says. For we ourselves were once, once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hatred, hated by others and hating one another. That's who we are, Ninevites, the violence of our own hands, the violence of the people, the hatred within our hearts, the envy. That's who we are. But what happens? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, his goodness and his loving kindness, he saved us. He rescued us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Paul is adamant. God did not do this because of what you offered him, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the holy spirit whom he poured out on us richly in jesus christ our savior. And he goes on to describe how god has justified us by his grace. God's grace, his intervention flows from his goodness and his loving kindness. And when that appeared, he rescued us. He led us to repentance and faith. And that's what God is saying to Israel. Hey, guys, watch Nineveh. I'm going to lead them to repentance and faith. Hey, guys, watch how I respond when Nineveh repents. Wait and see how merciful I am. Who knows? It's almost like a teacher in class saying, all right, I want to ask everybody in class a question. Who knows how God to respond if we humble ourselves before him and repent. someone in the back raises their hand and says he's going to be merciful my friends I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey I don't know where you are in relationship to God maybe you're a believer who has, who has been wayward who has just like Jonah left the Lord or tried to hide from the presence of God let me tell you he knows exactly where you are he knows exactly how to get your attention, how to lead you to repentance. The point of this chapter is look how God responds when we repent. Look how God responds when we humble ourselves. He is filled with loving kindness and goodness. You might not be a believer, and you don't know who God is, you don't know what kind of what kind of character he is. Let me tell you, he's a lot more complex than preachers like me portray on Sunday. He's a lot more complex a character. And so I would urge you to read the scriptures, maybe start in the Gospel of John, and ask God to reveal himself to you because I promise you, he's good, his loving kindness never fails, He's merciful. You may be someone who thinks God could never forgive the sin that I've committed. You're wrong. He's merciful. He's kind. And so that these are the applications I want to ask. How do you perceive God? When you think about him, is he angry and capricious? Capricious just means he's He's kind of off the, hand, off the hook here. He just kind of does what he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. You can, never, you can never know how God's going to respond. He's capricious. Is he angry, and does his anger take over at times and lash out? Some of us think that God is just loving and indifferent. He's so loving, he doesn't care about our sin. He doesn't care about who, what we do or how we live. Let me tell you, neither one of these is true much more complex a character than we can imagine but understand that your perception of god has to be rooted in his mercy in who he reveals himself to be as the merciful creator how does god respond to sin how does god respond to the sin that's in the world today does he care Well, the story of Nineveh tells us that he cares. God sends Jonah to Nineveh and says, call out to this great city. And in chapter 4, we're going to find out, God says, there are 120,000 people there and much cattle, and I care about all of them. So how does God respond to sin? He's aware of it. The sin of Nineveh had come up before him. He's involved in it, not chargeable with it, but, I mean, he's he's navigating this world. He's orchestrating this world, so there's sovereignty involved. But notice how he responds. He's merciful. How does he respond to your sin? Here's here's always a challenge for us. We want God to respond to the sin of others differently than we want him to respond to our own sin, and we're going to see that in chapter 4. Chapter 4 is all about, I want mercy for me, and I don't want any for other people. How does God respond to your sin? He's merciful. Well, how does he respond to the sin of others who you want him to bring judgment to? He's merciful. How's God's grace training you? And I think this is an important question for us to think about. Because God's grace is training you, even in these hard times. He is training you and making you his own possession, zealous for good works? How is he training you right now? What is this coronavirus and the quarantine and everything that's going on, what is God, how is God using this to train you? How is he, in his grace, leading you to repentance and faith? What is he showing you about yourself? How is he helping you be more self-controlled? How is he calling you to depend on him more? Church family, make no mistake, God is at work right now. And he's training us for his glory. Confusing us to Christ. But it's his grace that's doing that. This is not God's anger or capriciousness. This is his tender mercy leading us by the hand to repentance and to faith. How is Jesus better than Jonah. Well, I've already alluded to it uh, in in the earlier text. Jonah's half-hearted ministry is preaching the condemnation of God, doesn't stick around to lead them in learning the scriptures and knowing who the Lord is, learning to worship the Lord properly, Uh, delivers his blunt, straightforward message and moves on to the side of a mountain where he wants to watch God destroy Nineveh. You think Jesus is better than that? Friends, I know Jesus is better than that. His life and ministry demonstrate his great superiority as the faithful prophet of God, who not only preached that the kingdom of heaven is in hand and that everyone should repent, but stayed and ministered to the sick, the dying, the lame, the demon-possessed, the blind, and he taught and taught and taught. So that we could know God, so that we could walk in Christ and abide in the Father through Jesus Christ. He calls himself the good shepherd. Jonah could not make that claim. Jonah couldn't even make the claim of a decent shepherd. <laughs> Jesus is our good shepherd, and he is so much better than Jonah. And as your loving Savior, he is leading you as a shepherd to the sheep he's leading you to green pastures even in the valley of the shadow and so i would urge you to turn to christ allow him to lead you to repentance and faith to know the goodness and the grace and the mercy of god today let me pray for us father we rejoice in our savior jesus christ We rejoice in the mercy that we have received from your good hand. We praise you for the salvation that is the Lord's. Salvation belongs to you. It is yours by possession. And we worship you for your children by your goodness and grace. And we pray that you will help us to be on mission that we will be people of mercy and kindness to all those around us, especially to the people that we are quarantined with. Help us, Father, to show the kind of mercy that we've received by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.